first rodeo i think uh, <laughs> this is well i think podcast number i think four or five so yes, yeah, uh, our chill trish is back the ceo of genesis ai for the people who haven't listened you should go back through uh through our episodes and check i guess the we had three episodes uh so far i think two were touching up on the, on the markets a little bit I think we always talk about the markets a little bit that's even even we're mostly speaking about genesis we, we have a little bit of time uh yeah. to talk about the markets so um actually how you been um how's life thank you vlad uh, great great to do this again and i'm sure this will be as fun as last few uh podcasts together and exciting to talk about uh, markets ai genesis and everybody everything interesting i uh one thing I noticed is that the Napoleon has uh, some rivalry there. Is a <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I'll be adding a few more uh, drawings uh, on my walls. Uh, see if it's gonna increase my productivity. <laughs> <laughs> as long as long as the Napoleon stays there, you know. As long as yes. Napoleon is there, I think victory is coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I yeah. Napoleon is always always gonna be there. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. So, I mean, we could we could start a little bit, you know, with, with Genesis as well. I, I know that you've you guys made some progress. You had maybe some new team members. I saw you posted stuff with um, showing the, the the beta version of the product. So, I don't know if you want to talk about this a little bit. Yes, yes. Love to love to give you everyone update about where we are now. So, since last time we spoke, which I think was in. Uh, late spring, uh, we went from having around five AI tools on, on our platform to around 35 AI tools, uh, which are working very well, actually. And uh, we also added a few more team members, both on the product side and also on the business side. One of our most recent team members, Artyom Bell, he worked at Salesforce for five years and also American Express before. He's absolutely great software engineer. And now we are a team of around 12 people. So this is great. Uh, so we have grown a lot. And uh, also we raised our funding uh, with Net Capital. It went super well, thanks to you guys. And uh, it went very well. And it was very good. Everything, uh, product, business, um, market, uh, AI, it's probably the best that we have ever seen. So I'm really excited about what future holds. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, and and uh, Artyom, is, a, is he a software engineer or is he more of a... Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so where do you see Genesis going from here? What's like a, like a short-term, long-term goal, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, initially we were focusing on non-technical investors who wanted to use AI to do market research, to analyze text, speech, and other types of unstructured data. And we changed our direction to more technical people, developers who are looking for to discover, test, and integrate AI solutions, specifically AI-related APIs. So now our platform is very simple. You go to Genesis AI platform, and let's say you're looking for text summarizer. So you'll be able to compare different text summarizers, compare how fast they can 
give you output, how reliable they are, how popular they are. After that, you go to testing phase, which is providing an input directly in your browser and getting output without writing a single line of code. And finally, you copy paste the simple code that we give you in your own coding environment and you are able to make real-time requests so that you can send thousands of requests a day to summarize text. For instance, we found that there's much more need for that versus need coming from non-technical people. Right, and, and I'm, I'm completely non-technical, so my, my questions are probably going to be very kind of basic here i saw i saw the, the 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 demo that you posted so like is the idea that you know i think the demo was uh with kind of the you you typed in some text and you can get kind of you know w w what type of text is or what kind what type of um um sentiment the text carries right and then i, I think it was like a positive kind of sentence and they told you oh yeah it's positive and then mm -hmm. it gives you afterwards the the code behind that is the is the goal there where you, you know if I if I use it I can then copy that code and use it myself or, or how does that work? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So let's say that I don't want to build text sentiment analysis solution myself because it takes so much time, right? And so I'm looking for best text sentiment analysis solution. And there's so many in the internet, but it's really hard to know which one is good and which one is not. And it's really hard to integrate them very easily, you know? So this is for, we spoke to lots of developers and everyone was saying this. So Genesis AI allows people to compare these different text sentiment analysis solutions compare what they care the most, performance, reliability, popularity, price, and so on, and then test it seamlessly without writing any code. For instance, in our case, you can test it directly in your browser. For example, here is an input and then you get the output. But in most cases, when there's a code in GitHub, you need to install it sort of like starts connects it to your own coding environment and libraries, right? And in that case, it takes so much time for most people. And the final part is uh, you are you're basically able to copy-paste the simple code, few lines of code, put that into your own coding environment, right? Wherever you, your coding system or application is built. Let's say that I'm building a financial trading tool that's trades based on how the sentiment is changing, right? For example, if uh, today's sentiment improves, the next day you buy or sell and so on, right? So I can start making requests from Genesis AI's API to do a sentiment analysis of the markets, right? I can feed the data from different sources, from the Reuters, Wall Street Journal, and so on, Twitter, and so on. So we do this sort of synthesized sentiment analysis for you, send the results back, and then you use those results to make a trade, right? So it's important, but a few things are very important, right? So first of all, reliability. You want us to send you results, every time you basically give us a request, right? So if it's a close to 100% reliability, it's good. If not, it's not, right? And second part is speed. If our sentiment analysis takes a very long time to come back to you, right? Then it's your software probably gonna break down, right? Um, so those are a few things that helps us to make it super easy for developers to start building and using our APIs for their, their own projects. Right, and the way I put the request would be through the browser, right? 
Yes, exactly. Yes. So uh, yes. So basically, for the real time, so to, for the demo, you put requests through the browser. Mm -hmm. No need to go anywhere. But for the development, so in software engineers, they have their own code space, right? Mm -hmm. so, where they write all the code. So you need to install that in your own code space by copy pasting a code, basically. Mm -hmm. Same way how you might be making calls to the library, right, that exists somewhere. Here, you're just copy pasting a simple code. So it's really simple and easy to use. Right, yeah. So that's, you know, if you have an R installed on your computer or Python or something, you just copy it in the, in the coding environment and, and, and use it there. Okay. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's the, and I'm, and I'm, not you know again not very technical with that stuff but it seems like there is like a whole industry now evolving in the sense of making coding very simple to yes. use and you know I, I i've heard that you know usually coders what they do is basically you know they either search forums or, or go and look for different pieces of code and then they kind of put them together and create something um yeah. So that, that, that's very interesting. So you're currently in, in beta and you're developing the, the product. How long do you think it's going to take you? Is that the main focus at the moment or? Uh... Yes. Yeah, so it's uh, so we already have lots of users actually. So uh, we have, but we are not charging anyone anything now because we're still on the learning phase, but we are going to go from what we have now to increasing both breadth and depths, right? Mm -hmm. So here's how the breadth is going to work. So each developer has its own preferred coding language, right? Some people prefer Python, some people prefer JavaScript and so on. So now we are offering them to use either Python or make HTTP requests. So goal one goal will be to add other programming languages. So we expand the scope of what types and uh, which developers we are able to satisfy. And the second part will be depths, which is like it's improving the some of these APIs by, for instance, uh, let's say that uh, in the code that I provided, uh, it gives you 90% of what you need, but then you need to do like 10% modifications, right? For example, select the dates or select something, right? Goal will be to provide all of these templates to the developer so that uh, you provide them 99%. That means that they don't even need to write code to uh, tell you that give me the data from this date to that day, rather they can just copy paste, change the dates simply and start making it. So those are a few improvements we are planning when it comes to each, each API. And the second big one that we are building right now is allowing developers to deploy their APIs themselves. This is a big project, probably going to take us two months, I would say, around one of our product managers working on that. So we're almost done with the plan and I think it should, probably should be good to go in two months. So pretty excited for that. And the last part is adding more and more AI tools, right? So, so far we have been adding most of the tools ourselves, but once the supply automated deployment is done, then we're going to start really uh, make, spending more time on marketing our company to suppliers instead of us deploying some of the supplier solutions ourselves. Right. So just to, so I think in, in this case, um, would who would be the suppliers and then is, is is the customer then essentially the developer themselves um or is is also the supplier the, uh, sorry is developer also the supplier as well so it's like yes. a kind of a marketplace between developers needing things and 
developer supplying things. Is that am I thinking exactly? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So now we are mostly focused on the developer experience, uh, but still making it super easy for anyone who knows even just a little bit about computer science to use our tool and our software. So our mission of uh, allowing anyone to use this is definitely still a cornerstone of what we do right now, but we are, you know, like when you are uh, allowing, before developers could use it, but it was not ideal for them. So we knew that they cared a lot about it. So we were like, okay, let's make it a little bit more ideal for you. And that's what we did right now. Interesting. Do you think, uh, do you think one day, you know, you'll be able to download the Genesis AI uh, app on your computer and, you know, you can maybe pair it with R or with Python and go on code? Yeah. That's, that's a really interesting, uh, interesting idea, actually. Yes. So exactly. Low, low code solutions. That's our approach. You know, we have seen how much success Squarespace, Wix, and those uh, tools had because they allowed people to build a great website without writing any code, right? It's crazy that now if you want to build an AI tool, you need to write so much, right? So ranging from cleaning data to training data and data and then sort of optimizing parameters and so on. It's just really, really hard. So we are really trying to make it as simple as, you know, just like copy pasting things and making small modifications. Nice. So yeah, it's, it seems like, okay, so it seems like you pivoted a little bit, but in the same kind of way. You're, uh, one thing I want to ask you is like, does, who are the main competitors in, in, in the market? And like, uh, does, does that change with, with, the, with the pivot or is it, is it still, still the same kind of market? Yes, that's a great question. Yeah, so currently main competitors uh, are mostly the same, but uh, we have a big one now called uh, Rapid API, which is collection of APIs. But they don't are not really focusing on AI specifically. There is another one called Hugging Face, which is also sort of collection of APIs, mostly for AI. But they do lots of different. It's more of a sort of for people who like to build rather than use whatever is provided. You know, so different a bit different angle. And we also have Open Open AI, right? They provide AI related APIs. So so, but the whole industry is booming. One of our competitors, uh, Algorithmia, just got acquired by the way for like hundreds. It's not public, but uh, based on different things I heard, at least 160 million was acquisition. And we one of our another company, Singularity, competitor Singularity Net is valued at around 300 million. So the whole thing is really booming. And uh, we are beating our competitors in many aspects. So we are. Uh, you know, falling behind in some, but I think we have a bright, even brighter futures than they have. So I'm pretty excited about the whole industry. Nice, nice, very, very interesting. Um, so yeah, I guess um, yeah, the whole whole AI space is, is booming. I, it's it's really interesting what's happening in general. With not only there's so many, I think aspects of of the the, the tech world that are booming. You know, you have. The AI space is booming, and you know, I, I heard even I'm not even like a code or anything. I did a little bit of art back in the day, but I can't code a single thing. But um, you just hear that there's so many developments, and I heard about like things that you mentioned. I'm like, I heard before that people are focusing on that now. You know, the crypto is definitely booming. You know, you have the you know you have the whole crowdfunding area that's booming. You have 
wherever you turn around, everything is booming. And I just wonder, <laughs> I just wonder why is everything booming? You know, whenever you turn around, everything yeah, yeah, seems yeah. to be doing great. And I and I wonder if it's like, a, if it's a little, if it's a result of like stimulus, a lot of stimulus. So we're all stimulated and we're all uh, kind of booming at the moment, but you know, who knows for how long. Yeah, it's a great point, right? Everything arranging from uh, prices for goods, right? Uh, everything is sold out. For example, I wanted to buy this Adidas shorts, you know, for tennis and sold out. I never really seen some basic clothing being sold out or you go to take a look to the uh, PlayStation. You cannot buy PlayStation 5 right now. Yes, it has to do with something with cheap shorties, but also another one is just like huge demands that exist. Or you look at so many other services, right? Prices for every sequence went up pretty much and everything is a high demand. In Miami, for instance, uh, you usually need to book restaurants like four weeks in advance. It's a good restaurant. I have never seen anything like this. Usually it's like one week or not even, right? So, and then you talk about the employment. It's impossible to hire, almost impossible to hire for many, many industries, right? So, it's crazy that uh, people think that it's just going to be transitory. I don't know. Maybe it's not crazy. No, it's not crazy. It's just like I think it's highly unlikely that it's going to be transitory and we're going to revert back to regular inflation and regular you know, economy. I think just more people spend and more they invest and buy, more higher and hotter things get until Fed starts to raise interest rates. And when they do, then we might have another recession, right? Yeah, I think I think you bring a, a good point. Uh, you know, like with this with Whoop, I wear the Whoop the the the, the, the strap, and they released a new product, Whoop 4.0, and now they can measure like your your blood oxygen. You ordered it actually, right? Did you yes, did you get uh, your, did you get yours? No, no, I ordered <laughs> when uh, when we met in October actually, and. Uh, yeah. It has been uh, November. Yeah, it has been no even earlier. No, I ordered it around September, late September. It has been already like almost two months, and uh, still they are estimating another two months. Yeah, so it's probably going to be I think sometime in 2022 when we're going to get the whoop. And it's funny, it's just you know like I kind of knew when I ordered it. They told me this, and I was like, they probably either they probably first. They didn't make it yet. They probably just did like pre-orders basically. <laughs> but at the same time, who knows where they're making it and how long it's going to take. So it's a very, very different environment. A question is that given given that it's hard to book the restaurants in Miami, is that are you going to be coming back to Boston? Is that <laughs> is that a hint? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I'm in Miami at least until probably like July. And yeah, Miami is great, uh, but uh, it's, um, it's, it's, you know, like its own own community and uh, it takes some time to uh, be able to find the best uh, sort of fit, right? Because in Boston, I already had that fit, right? I have been there right. for so long. In Miami, it takes some time to find your own close uh, community, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and during this, you know, during, I guess during this period, one thing that also changes is that, you know, the communities are now digital. <laughs> it's yes. you know, in a weird way, you know, like, you can work, you know, there, there, now there's like startup hub in Austin, in Nashville, but then you can go online and you, you know, you can raise money from portals and you can do events online and all that stuff. So I think, do you think that aspect, you know, we, we talk, you know, we will, we'll get back to the inflation. I have many questions there, but 
do you think that that aspect of of you know what happened during covid is gonna is gonna stick around mm. or do you also work does your team mainly work remotely yeah so uh new team member we hired he's in uh, miami and uh, my co-founder is in boston and we have lots of people in europe so we, we are mostly yeah like all mostly remote but at the same time i think once we have meaningful number of people in each location we definitely would want to be sort of on the office space because uh, first of all because I, I have a preference and the team has a preference for that well, we are mostly extroverts so we, we sort of need uh, human to human interaction face to face to feed the energy from right for instance if we feel lonely we are not we don't have enough energy we're not getting enough things done so i think for z type of company culture company which is mostly extroverts i think it's very important for each employee's happiness there to be some sort of office-based work and you know like take into account that maybe 60% of uh, people are extroverts. I would think these people will have strong preference to work face-to-face uh, -face with each other. So I, I think at least like maybe 60% of the workspace going to stay on the ground. I'm talking about very high-tech type workspace. And the rest uh, will probably maybe when another 20% will still work uh, now, in through the office, just because some managers are so controlling, they want to control every aspect of their employees' life. So they, and they are decision makers. So they want people to be in the office. That's why lots of big tech, big firms like JP Morgan and so on are really pushing everyone to come back to the office. And the last 30, 20% probably going to stay remote. You know, people who have a choice, who don't have controlling managers, people who are, are not required, and also they don't care, really care whether they are in home, in, at home or outside. So I think, yeah, so I, which probably is four times more than what was during pandemic, but I don't think it's going to go beyond like 25% of, of sort of white collar high tech workforce. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, a couple of questions. So do you, well, the first one, are you still, are you still hiring? Um, that's one question or maybe somebody is listening who is interested. The second yes. thing is, do, do you think that, you know, I, I know you kind of mentioned there's like different aspects of the business and some people will be remote, some not. Do you think like, do you think that you'll offer flexibility to people that come in? And do you think that kind of in today's environment with you mentioned that there's, you know, there's so much competition for workers. Do you think that that's kind of, Kind of what, in order to get a high quality operator or not maybe operator, but a worker, you kind of have to do that because the, 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 the power dynamic has switched from, you know, especially if you're a developer, you know, they are so, so after um, uh, the power dynamic has switched from the employer to the employee uh, when it comes to the hiring process, because there is so many people looking to hire. Um, yes. It's a great point, a lot. And uh, so, uh, oh, yes, yeah, so we, we are definitely hiring. We are hiring very actively now. We sent out three offers recently, for example, and uh, let's see what will be conversion rate from, uh, from that. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so let's say we are hiring for software engineers. Uh, as backend slash AI engineers, and we are mostly software engineers and one product manager as well, a person who will be leading the, the product direction in terms of, uh, you know, talking to users and designing uh, features and, and working with engineers to make it happen. And uh, 
uh, other than that, I completely agree right now. Employees have huge leverage. That's why we are not really requiring anyone to, okay, hey, can you move to Miami or Boston? We are not requiring anyone. But that, that dynamic always changes, right? Uh, what's, what determines is it's a big, another big question, but always changes. For example, <laughs> during COVID, that dynamic was uh, mostly for employers, right? Because mm-hmm. actually, lots of people got fired, lots of people, and so on. Or I would say that that dynamic still going to change because uh, there are so many people studying computer science right now. Everyone, or so many 30, 40 year old people transitioning from what they are doing to computer science. So I actually expect there to be oversupply and overabundance of software engineers in maybe five, 10 years, actually. Um, just like the beauty of economy, right? People see opportunity and then lots of people go there and then there's overabundance. So, and so I think time will definitely come back when uh, employers have a similar leverage as employees and then when they want them to be in the same place, they're probably going to get it, right? So, uh, so we are not requiring anyone to uh, really move uh, because of leverage yet. We just know that we already, for example, out of every 100 people, we cannot hire uh, 80 of them just because uh, we have a very specific company culture and most people are not compatible to it. Mm-hmm. Out of the 20 people, then we cannot probably hire around 16 of them because of abilities, right? And then out of the four people that are left, you know, if we send out uh, two offers, probably one of them will accept. So mm-hmm. that's sort of like out of every 100 people in the pipeline, at most we hire the one person. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, do radical transparency, radical open-mindedness uh, fall into the, the the culture? Is that is that that is that where it's going? <laughs> yes, yes. So we are not that big on radical transparency in terms of like we are not recording anything, but right. we're big on transparency. But we're really big on the radical sort of truth, you know, the idea of always speaking your mind, being direct, being very open-minded, not defensive, or putting ego aside during discussions, uh, willing to take feedback, willing to provide feedback. This is pretty big. And uh, we found that lots of people are not comfortable with that. They call, the, call feedback criticism, you know, and uh, they think that it's a bad thing, but they don't think that when you learn more about yourself, that helps you to improve, which is good. Like nothing to fear from the truth, right? So, but we really have been sort of uh, finding hard time to find uh, people in terms of percentages, right? Eighty uh, percent don't think this way, you know, maybe even more. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's. I think that's one thing that you you are very good with with uh, you know discussing controversial topics, even if they're controversial. If if you're looking to find the truth, you know, like not only not staying within the box. So I think that's definitely like one thing that's probably derived also from you into the culture of the company. And um, you know, that's that's. Uh, I think that's important with anybody who's working on anything that's. Um, it's a tough task. Anything that it's a tough task, if you are, if you, and you're in a very competitive environment, if you can't tell the truth to your own team and, you know, receive feedback and people tell you, Hey man, you know, you suck. Even, even if like you as the CEO, if somebody tells you, Hey, this, I think this is wrong. And, and you're like, okay, yeah, this is the culture that we have. I appreciate that. Instead of them being like, Oh no, she was the CEO. I can't tell them anything. 
it, it's immediately a competitive advantage, I think. Um, yes, exactly. Exactly. One, yes. one thing I want to uh, what was I, I want to ask you about? I think we were mentioning AI, and you were saying you know like people are transitioning, you know, 40, 40 year olds, thirty year olds. Mm. One thing that people mention a lot, and I had a couple of podcasts where people, I think there is a current sentiment in the markets that you know <clears throat> we're moving towards this AI space where, you know, all the humans will be replaced by AI, and there there is going to be a lot of people who are going who are going to be um, basically you know competed out from workforce by by like machines um <laughs> so my opinion well not my opinion but the the narrative there out there is that you know you'll have a generation of people that are completely outcompeted and you know they they won't have anything to do and you have to give them basic income and stuff like that what do you think what do you think about that what's do you have a, an opinion or uh, you know as a person working on ai projects you know probably have more insights than me yeah yeah basic income stuff uh yes so uh there are two opinions so is that right so the first one is when everyone can contribute to this world the world as a whole is better place in terms of uh, prosperity economic prosperity or general happiness level right for instance when a person does not have enough food or does not feel happy because he cannot get health care, he might go and do some things that harms others, right? Ranging from relatively small things, for example, you know, drinking in the street or doing drugs in the street or something even more complex like robbing another person or killing another person and so on, right? Um, so that, that's one direction. But the second direction is more sort of evolutionary, right? That, uh, you know, some people think that we should not fight uh, uh, against evolution rather than let the free markets decide how to allocate resources. And uh, I think the best way uh, is finding a great balance between these two. And uh, in order to find good balance for that, I think the best approach is to uh, increase overall economic pie more than looking for ways to spread the wealth. So I think if we focus on increasing the overall, for example, if there's a trade-off between oral economic pie and uh, spreading the wealth, we should target, I think, on the oral economic pie because that's the second order consequence of that is sort of everyone, on average, almost everyone gets wealthier, right? So, uh, so I think that's much, uh, uh, much easier to achieve our goal of general prosperity versus spreading all the seeds to everyone and reaching smart people leaving the countries and overall economy pie reducing and then everyone having less as a result, you know? Yeah, that, that makes sense. But um, so yeah, what, one thing I was kind of trying to target at is, okay, let me give you two scenarios. One scenario is, you know, you get AI, a lot of people get you know, out of out of work, and you know the truck drivers. You have AI trucks. Let's say I probably like, I'd say, in ten years, you probably have you'll have at least like basic AI, uh, kind of, you know, tr delivery trucks and stuff like that. You know, even you know, I'm not I'm not too too deep into it, but it seems like that we're coming close. A couple of companies are working on it, and it seems like in ten years we have you know probably truck drivers and people will get out of work. 
so I, I you know there's there's this position where you know you'll just have a giant generation of people that you know will be useless or that will happen gradually and we're kind of overestimating the 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 the, the the speed of, of that conversion happening. And what you said, uh, people who are in their 30s and 40s are now, the market is switching and people are realizing, oh, God damn it, you know, like I'm not gonna, I won't be able to do this forever. Maybe I should learn a little bit about coding. It's becoming more of a mainstream thing. And, you know, this is also where you fall, fall in with, you know, making code simple for people that even, you know, a dummy like me, maybe can go on Genesis AI and copy the code and maybe use it for my own stuff. Um, so which... What do you think, like, which of these two scenarios? Maybe you have another third scenario, but, like, you know what I'm trying to get at? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So I think that uh, we actually will not have over-abundance of free workforce, you know. For instance, during uh, COVID, uh, actually it was, or uh, even right now, it's just so hard to uh, have enough Uber drivers, to have enough DoorDash drivers, right? It's just like everything, Amazon delivered Fed, um, FedEx drivers. So moving forward, yes, there will be some automation. Lots of people will be, what lots of people do will be able to get automated, but the oral demand is still booming. There will be more and more people who needs to bring up the food into 26th floor, right? And uh, the robots will not be able to do that in 10 years. Maybe 30 years they will, but or 20 years they will, but not right now, right? And when then time comes, there will be some other things that we need to do, right? Maybe population will be even more dense. Maybe there will be some sort of congestion issues and so on that will still require us to maintain these robots and so on. But if we assume that... Uh, we will be left in a scenario where there's so much automation that so many people uh, don't have enough jobs, right? I think people are extremely creative and they're still going to find ways of uh, spending their time and uh, also making money as long as the overall economy is doing well, right? So uh, there are always new, new industries popping up, new things appearing, right? Uh, and people always find a way to do that and maybe also... Overall, everyone going to start working two hours less, you know, there will not be any more people who are working two jobs and so on. And I think that whole reduction as a whole, for example, if on average now everyone works 10 hours and then uh, on average tomorrow everyone's going to work eight hours, right? There is as it's like a 20% times that can be met by other people who are unemployed, right? So I think because of that, I also don't really foresee any big uh, labor problems. Right? Yeah. yeah, interesting. And I think this is probably a good time to come back to our uh, our favorite topic, which is inflation. Um, do you think, you know, like in, in the short term, you know, of course, uh, may depend. It depends how you think about it. But currently, you know, we're facing these demand issues, you know, supply issues, a lot of demand, problems with supply, kind of deglobalization. Do you think, you know, to come back to AI, for me, it's hard to like think about inflation as being a, if we think a long term, right, 10, 20 years, I see is if you think that, you know, you're going to have an increasing number of, you know, AIs and machines, we already have machines making cars and whatnot, but technically if you're going to replace people in many places where, you know, you're just doing physical work, 
you know, you, you have a machine, you don't have to pay for healthcare, you don't have to pay for, you know, insurance, you maybe, maybe some type of machine insurance, changing oil and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I, I look at that and I'm like, okay, the inflation is probably, you know, it's not going to be a problem because the costs of making everything are going to become lower. And then another thing that comes to mind is it seems like, you know, we've been globalizing for a long time because it's been in the national interest, also kind of in the United States and the corporations to globalize because, okay, we're going to go to Vietnam, we're going to go to China and produce our goods there, make it cheaper. But do you think now as United States kind of realizes that a lot of their supply chain is impacted by China? And there's this AI, there's a potential technology where you could bring back your businesses back to the United States, use AI to produce it at the same cost. Do you think that's that's going to happen? And, you know, what kind of, you know, implications that might have if it happens um, yeah. on inflation and everything? Yeah, that's a very good, uh, very good point. So to start from the second one, uh, yeah, I think that's one big factor, right? So people are realizing that... Uh, they can invest more in technology, which might result in them needing less and less from other countries, right? For example, workforce or toys made from China will be needed less because we can automate creation of some of this or making of some of those toys, right? It's one big thing. And another thing is just because of the uh, global uh, competitions that's happening between China and the US now, those two countries are pretty much they have same power now economically and in many other ways. And they really want to beat each other, right, uh, in terms of economy and everything else. And that results in many cases in less cooperation, right? When there is some sort of a huge competition between two parties, on average, they would... Uh, cooperate less versus two parties who are not that competitive, right? For example, take PepsiCo and Coca-Cola. They probably are less likely to cooperate versus uh, a real estate development firm X and Y who are not competing on the same ground. They might actually do a joint venture, right? All those sequels. So I think because of that, US and China are going to cooperate less. And when it comes to the first one, yeah, I absolutely agree that Technology has a negative impact on the prices because it reduces prices at which it costs to produce a good, right? So, for instance, if uh, it costs me right now to, to produce a toy at one box and uh, I'm selling it for 1.5 bucks, if tomorrow, because of technology, I can produce it for uh, 10 cents, then uh, I will be able to uh, to capture the market share. I will be able to, let's say, sell this for one box, right? So half a dollar less than everyone else, and I'll be able to capture the market, right? But so I definitely think all, all in general, it reduces inflation. Um, but uh, there's also another side, which is this profits get distributed to some degree, among employees of the company, among shareholders, and they reinvest and respend and so on, do all the same things. But I think the impact is less. Uh, so yes, that's I think one of the downward pressures of inflation. But when uh, we take into account uh, how much more money printing has been, sort of monitoring inflation that's coming, I think these two things will equalize each other. Actually, I think monetary policy-driven inflation will be even stronger than technology reducing inflation. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And there, that's more of a, for me, that's more of a, well, if you, if you think it's short term being like five years, I think that's probably the monetary policy is going to have, you know, bigger impact. Do you, do you think just because the AI takes time to catch up, you know, it, it takes um, time for everything to get developed and have a longer term impact. But, you know, one thing that I'm thinking about is, you know, we're talking about the government, the government, the Fed raising interest rates, but I think it's, they're in a kind of a tough position because, you know, the, the, the debt is so high. So if you raise interest rates and the most of the government debt is on the five year, uh, I think that the, the maturity is like in five years, um, your payments, your, your, your like debt servicing costs are going to increase, you know, they're going to be exponentially higher. So I wonder, you know, if, if, if they're not going to raise interest rates because they can't afford to do it. Um, and I wonder if we're going to be, you know, if, if that's, if that's the, the name of the game, you know, if they're like, okay, we're, we're rather do, we rather have inflation at five, six, seven, eight percent, and then maybe, keep it there for, you know, two or three years, you know, would they rather do that than, you know, prematurely raise the debt expenses and put pressure on the government? Yeah, that's a really good, uh, really good point. And it's, I would say at some degree, that would be true test at some degree of uh, independence of the Fed, right? So in US, there's this notion that Fed is independent from the governments and so on. And I mean, we're going to see, right? Because uh, if, for example, Biden will be uh, very influential in this and going to sort of coerce Federal Reserve Chairman to uh, not do it, right? Then they're probably not going to do it. Because so, economically, it probably makes sense to uh, increase, uh, maybe not at 3%, but definitely at least like like. 1%, 1.5%, because just everything is all heat right now. There all, lots of things are in bubbles, especially in small market cap stocks, right? And uh, I think we need to slow it down. And uh, uh, it's definitely going to cause some pain, right, to uh, meet some of the debt obligation and so on. But uh, our future generations will not be left with... Uh, much worse of uh, inflation and uh, potential economic uh, uh, smoothness, right? Because if we let this run and run, then there will be probably crises that U.S. has never seen because uh, faster and faster and bigger, bigger things go, uh, more is only simply going to drop. But also another interesting thing, and I know Vlad, you're big on the crypto, right? So if you think that uh, inflation is negatively affected by technology, which is such a big force that makes people less interested to buy crypto because it's going to add, because if I, if there is no more inflation, I care less about crypto, all of people, right? And there's another point about reserve currency and so on, but uh, I would say maybe 50% of the population invest in Bitcoin because of, uh, of inflation risk. Interesting. I, I, I think with, with regards to the crypto, I think we might be overestimating that the people invest. Like, I think that people who are in finance or are, you know, people who are in finance, right? Or in economics or stuff like that. I think that, you know, we see it as a potential hedge to everything or a potential hedge to inflation as well, if it's being, being a digital gold. But I have so many friends who have nothing to do with finance. And they are not even thinking about inflation when, when investing in Bitcoin. They're more looking at it 
from like a like a new thing, like a new, you know, smart contracts, new things. They're not even understanding that they might not even understand the dynamic between crypto and inflation, but they're just so excited uh, because of crypto. Some people come in, a lot of people come in just because they've seen it go up and they want to make money and they want to trade. And, you know, that's going to be short term. But then I think that a lot of people that are getting into that, for instance, from Montenegro, they're getting into it and then looking at not only at Bitcoin, but like different protocols, learning about it. And I, my opinion there is as well as, you know, while we can look at crypto, you know, as some type of a hedge, I think there is a complete new thing being developed. You know, the, the, the Web 3.0, you know, smart contracts, a blockchain, different transactions. I think banks are in big, big, big trouble um, from like from the DeFi perspective if they don't if they don't really. You know, if they don't come in and, and start acquiring, because I don't think they're going to, I don't think big banks they're, they're, and corporate organizations are just the way that they're structured. And you have these hierarchies. When I, I spoke to a couple of people that work in banks, it just takes some t- such a long period of time to make a decision and pivot just because the organization is so big. I don't think that they're going to be able to pivot quickly enough to catch up with all of this development and DeFi that if they don't start acquiring the right players in the industry, that they, I think the banking industry might be completely disrupted in the next 10 to 20 years just because of the development, you know, well, I'm, I'm tooting my own horn, but like one thing is crowdfunding. That's one thing, an example. The other example you'll see is, you know, like crypto, what's happening with Ethereum and stuff like that. Do you have any opinions uh, there? And I know we're kind of running, you have a, you have a tennis match to go to, but uh, we can we can slowly... Uh, uh, yes. uh, you know, close the, close it out. But what do you th- what do you think there? Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Uh, but I was just looking at uh, Ethereum market cap of five hundred billion, and then you can look at uh, Facebook market cap, uh, which is uh, around uh, one trillion, right? So, mm-hmm. Or even some small. So they're not that different. You know, different. You know, and uh, in how many people you know who are you know, already using Facebook and uh, how much money already revolves around Facebook and compares that to uh, and how economies, right? So for revenue and pro and uh, cost and then compares that to Ethereum. And I would say that Facebook probably has a hundred times more traction and uh, also pretty good growth opportunities. Ethereum can be banned anytime, but Facebook probably will not be banned uh, anytime, right? And they have such a diversified also uh, um, the companies, they have Instagram, WhatsApp, uh, Facebook, uh, but Ethereum just on itself, there will be another company like Solana appearing and mm-hmm. uh, having a better performance and then people are going to switch to that probably, who knows, right? So I just think that valuations in crypto, uh, you know, uh, are much, much higher than it's justified, especially right now. And uh, so I see a few things, right? So the first one, first thing is, uh, here's why I'm not putting more than, you know, 7% of my 
portfolio into crypto. First one is uh, risk of uh, being banned when and if it becomes too big, in, uh, too big, right? Uh, for it to threaten the uh, many, many things that government care about. Second one is, uh, as you mentioned, uh, long-term inflation, probably like 10, 20 years from now, probably going to be actually less than 2%. And that's not super good for, for crypto. Um, the third part is, uh, I'm looking at, for example, one thing you mentioned, Vlad, which is uh, people think about this as a new thing, as this technology potentially can be revolutionary. But, you know, I really don't know uh, to be honest, even I don't know any single company that has uh, you know millions and millions of users in crypto outside of investment and speculation related. You know, NFTs, for example, are mostly speculation, but crypto exchanges are again speculations. They have millions and millions of users, but outside of that, almost none has attraction. But I can you know give you like hundred AI companies that has millions of users on hundreds of AI apps that whose AI technology powers billions and billions of users, actually like Siri, for example, right? Or Google search and so on. Uh, so, this is, and I can go on and on, but this is some of the reasons why I'm not super optimistic about crypto, but I might be wrong as that's why I'm investing around you know, a few percent of my, my portfolio in it. Uh, yeah, and do you, so I think that's a great point. And do you think, look, you know, when you compare AI to crypto, you know, do you think that one of the, I think that everything is kind of frothy and everything is kind of attract, speculation is everywhere. And, you know, everything is attracting people who are not, you know, who are not there necessarily to build something, but, you know, to earn money quickly and stuff like that. Do you think one of the reasons why, you know, the, the thing that you said is actually correct is because, you know, AI by itself has a higher barrier to entry. No, if I'm if I'm gonna come in and, and you know create an AI company versus some kind of a crypto token or whatever and create with AI, you have to you have to be like be able to code. It's pretty fairly complex, right? With crypto at this point, I think you know I know people that are you know in crypto and create protocols, but it's it seems like it's not the barrier to entry to AI is higher than to crypto. Do you think that maybe has an impact? Mm. Yeah, it's super interesting. So. Uh... Uh, you can, yeah, one, one, sometimes people argue that it's actually the opposite because in AI, there's so much infrastructure already built out that allows people to do things much more easily versus crypto, which is people compare it to 1990s of the internet. And to, for me, it's absolutely crazy, actually, because... Uh, um, because internet, because crypto is just one aspect and internet is something that powers literally everything, right? And in the internet, there are so many things. There is the IoT, there is AI, there is VR, everything. And so saying that crypto is a new internet, you are specifically saying that crypto is all technology, you know? And uh, yeah, so I uh, saw, so first of all, uh, but, uh, but second, on the second side, you know, you can... Definitely say that uh, crypto has less barriers to entry just because uh, it's so easy to build a coin or token and then uh, it's just best marketing game from there, right? Uh, but in AI space, uh, now people are very skeptical, uh, saying uh, that, oh, we are AI power when you actually don't do anything. So, yes, you are absolutely right. I think uh, it's probably going to be harder uh, uh, barriers to entry uh, uh, might be at some because of that even higher in AI than in crypto. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think AI power, the 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 the, the thing that's that's similar in crypto would be we're decentralized, you know. And I think with crypto, they are gonna get, and this is like some I can drop some SEC knowledge. They're they're gonna get very they're gonna get regulated. It's it's coming. It's already in power. It's already the conversations are already happening, you know, like. So many blockchains are quote unquote decentralized, and then the SEC comes in and does their you know Bahamas test, and it's like basically, oh, if, you, if all of your company went to Bahamas, would your blockchain continue to work? And the, the answer in 90% of the cases is basically no, which means that you cannot claim it's decentralized. That's one of the beauties with Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin, there's it's not depending on a company, like Bitcoin is not tied to a entity. There's so many different nodes around the world that are powering the decentralized blockchain, but that there are many companies that have a blockchain that claim it's decentralized, where, you know, if that company ceases to exist tomorrow, that blockchain also is not really going to operate. So it's going to be really interesting. I, I think that, you know, the, the SEC and the regulators are catching up to it. And, you know, I think that uh, Gary Gensler, the chair, the chair himself, I think he was like a blockchain professor at MIT. So he's not, he's not you know, spring chicken. Um, so I think they're going to come in and regulate many of these tokens and everything. And um, short term might have a negative impact. Long term, I think it's going to have a positive impact because hopefully, you know, out of all the fraudy speculation, you're going to get, you know, with NFTs, a lot of speculation, but underlying technology where, you know, as an artist, I can make something and I can collect royalties on it. I think that's something crazy, you know, like if as an artist, you create a piece of art, you know, like, the, the NFT of Napoleon behind you, and you can post, you can post that and collect ten percent every time somebody makes it. You as an artist make so much more money than if you go to a, you know, a collection agency and they sell it and they basically make much more money. And I think yeah. that's gonna make some. Um, it's gonna change the world in in in, in a weird way. Yes, it's um, a really good yeah. And also uh, one more thing was about. Uh, uh, so whether it's going to be banned or not. And that's really interesting because, uh, you know, most of the Western governments they don't really like Bitcoin uh, because uh, of money laundering risks and, you know, it's being used to fund uh, uh, not so good activities and it's potentially threatening uh, monetary independence, right? But at the same time, they there is an increased need of uh, Bitcoin existing to allow people from China and so on to potentially invest resources in US, right? Because everyone really wants, like lots of people in, in China, for instance, there are restrictions on how much uh, you can invest outside of China. I think it's most, most cases it's around $50,000 a year, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bitcoin allows lots of people to do that. And most of those money comes to US, right? Uh, so the U.S. is using this probably as a way to fight against China. That's, I would say, if Bitcoin is not sort of uh, going to get 10 times bigger than it is now and still not bad, it's probably going to have to do with U.S. wanting to disrupt China. I think that might be the way, actually. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a tool because, you know, I think uh, what proves your point is actually, you know, before they did all of this, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, China went in and, you know, made um, new rules for the markets, reorganized companies, you know. But before they did all of this, they prohibited Bitcoin. That's first, they did prohibited Bitcoin. 
to make sure that the money doesn't leave the country when people freaked out. And then they went in and they were like, okay, we're going to do the audit of well, like all of your businesses. We have to, you know, make them, we have to make markets more equitable and all that stuff because they also are facing a problem uh, in, you know, where the top people are getting more and more money versus the lower, uh, you know, the lower uh, classes are kind of getting left behind. So it's very interesting that they kind of did that. Um, all right, I think I think we did one hour, and I know uh, you you have a tennis match. Um, you're you're getting more serious with time. Are you playing a tournament? Yeah, yeah, I'm getting more serious. So tournament I'm playing now. I'm uh, at the second place now. So we'll see uh, how it goes. I lost another tournament I played in round sixties, but it's just been really transformational for me. Uh, it's going back to sports, in not just casually, but competing really has been transformational for me does um does does it does it help you in terms of like work work-life balance where you know you get to disconnect for a little bit and and you know get into this other world which is tennis and you know um relax does that does that help so that's one but the most important one is when you are competing in a control environment where success is measured rules are there you really learn a lot about how you perform in different circumstances, you know. For example, I was always uh, sort of spontaneous and impromptu with, you know, presentations or speeches and so on. And I was not really preparing for any, any of that. But now, based on how warming up and uh, being uh, mentally ready, doing tennis helps me to play a lot better, showing up in the court 20, 30 minutes earlier, now I started to prepare more for presentations and so on. It's really helped me for everything. It's just one, or I cared too much about winning, you know, before. And when I cared too much, I was getting a bit more uh, sort of uh, nervous, making more mistakes, uh, taking even less risks. And now I try to play uh, more because of uh, for fun and for growth and learning. And I have been much more relaxed, much more strategic and played much better. So I think that I learned it in life as well. Maybe we shouldn't be focused that much about winning and succeeding and mostly about growth, right? Uh, so yes, this is a pretty interesting transformation for me. Yeah, I, I think I think as uh, as we as you know as you become a person, I think. Some, you know, when you grow up, people tell you it's most important to participate and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's like a, kind of a saying, but I think really it is most important because if you think about life, you, you know, if you play a game, you know, what the games te teach you, you know, you can, you play a game, you can win, you can lose, or you, you know, you can participate and, you know, it's most important to participate and not, not be a sore loser because, you know, when your friends, you and your friends went to play soccer as kids, if the most important thing was that you were fun to play with and they're going to call you back and you're going to play again. If you're a winner all the time and you're a, you know, a shitty winner, everybody's going to be like, this guy's insane. We're not going to call him back. And guess what? You're left over. And that's the worst thing. Or like you're a sore loser and nobody wants to play with you. And, you know, that's you can apply that for like the whole economic environment where if you're too aggressive on the winning, people are going to be like, well, this is not cool. We're gonna leave him leave him out, or this guy is a sore loser. We're gonna leave him out. So I guess yes. participate. That should be maybe the 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 message of this podcast. It's important yeah. to participate. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great learning experience, actually, and uh, uh, it takes a long time for people to learn that. Yes, cool, man. Um, all right. So I guess where can people you know find you? Where can people find Genesis? 
this was a, a pleasure speaking to you. You know, as always, I think we have great conversation, and we can do another two hours here. But unfortunately, yes. we are not on, on Joe Rogan. We are on the Financial yeah. Independent <laughs> Podcast. So, uh, yeah. Great. Thank you, Vaz. This was absolutely great. I really enjoyed it. I look forward to, uh, to uh, uh, hear what uh, our listeners gonna gonna uh, say. And this was absolutely great. Thank you very much for gonna do this again. Always, always a pleasure.